S-A-M-I-R-Y-E. Simi Rye here with another one of those podcasts with Simi Rye, but we're going to do it a little different this week. This week, I'm going to dedicate this episode to really just kind of taking a look back throughout human history and how we as people have interacted with the concept of art. What did it used to mean to people? How did they experience art in their different cultures from a small village separated from the concept of a world, just people living in the mountains, expressing themselves through song and dance and pictures and sharing stories for simply just that purpose with no, no, you know, hope that this, this story was going to live forever. No hope that, um, you know, they're going to make money off of it. Just doing, just creating art and expressing art simply to do art from what we're now approaching a world where every single person can basically create endless amounts of fiction and art um, for what purpose? Definitely commercialism, but also maybe also to express themselves. What is it like if every human has a, a Marvel and DC universe inside of them and simply when you go meet them instead of looking at their picture online or their video, you get a chance to peek into the entire universe that exists inside of them where they can just show these different things with you and share them um, with new tools to help that happen. What happens when that's what we have? We have millions, if not billions of people creating endless art with the assistance of technology. What happens when humans live in that kind of world in 100 years maybe when kids are being born and every single person they meet, if they so choose, has the ability to be their own Marvel movie company, not necessarily making millions of dollars, but creating content to a scale like we've never seen before, Um, sharing stories to a scale that we've never seen before with the assistance of the internet, other people, and a massive amount of AI tools. They're going to basically make, you know, all this stuff way faster than we ever thought about it, right? What does that do to society? What what was it like for society in the past? History will teach us how did these things change? You know, how did the internet change music? How did, uh, you know, the boat change artists being able to go around the world and you can hear, you know, music from one country and another country? Let's take a look back. Let's look at this whole thing. We're going to keep that theme of the whole episode. We'll also do music of the week and movie of the week. Um, And it had a little bit of the after show. Well, I want to get into that, talk about it this week. Let's go. Now, doing some quick Google searches, you'll find a lot of articles talking about how technology has changed art. And they're all talking about how technology is currently changing art. Trying to see a lot of articles, people talk about how art has basically been shaped throughout human history, you know, inadvertently, typically by different technologies. For example, the boat, right? Sea voyage, change technology, right? Being able to, you know, get in a boat and have artists travel to go see people in places they normally couldn't go see them, you know, spread different types of music and got different kinds of sounds go around the globe. And, um, you know, imagine what that must have been like, right? Imagine to be the best singer in your town, or the best musician in your town or your village, and then like Mozart come to town, right? This is obviously an example. This is not necessarily real, right? But... That's what I'm talking about. Like, imagine the fear and the, the 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 feelings that those people had. Oh my God! You know, here's this concert pianist um, from this rich kingdom, and now you know if if you're in this town, I'm now compared to this person, right? How much of that must have sucked for people, right? <laughs> it must have been cool for artists who wanted to learn and grow, 
But also it had to be intimidating to see that, you know, different technologies that made it easier for people to kind of go around the world and share what used to be just regional. It changed the way people have done music. It obviously brought different types of music to the world and showed other people different ways to make music. You've heard many stories of people who are like, oh yeah, I played like the Spanish guitar. And then one day I met somebody from like Turkey and they played the guitar this kind of way. I never thought about playing guitar that way. And then you had these two people sharing this different ideas and it's changing how that music is made. It's changing the way those things can happen. But a lot of articles you find online is really about just, you know, what technology is doing now, which I think really goes to show you people only give a crap about what's affecting them, right? They don't care what, like, how art changed, you know, society hundreds of years ago. And one of the things in life I feel like that is true, I wasn't a big history buff, but I do feel like to understand what you're going through, you can often look to the past because humans have gone through something similar before. And you can see how these things most likely will pay out, play out based on how people reacted and some of the outcomes of things that happened before. Um, you know, you can look at censorship, right? Throughout history, I think that's the one that we all kind of know the most. We've heard of like the Catholic Church, you know, censoring people and doing certain things during certain times in history or um, different, you know, political things that, that have happened throughout human history. Um, books being burnt. If you look at, you know, other countries, some wars that have happened, you know, that kind of censorship and stuff like that. And how these things have shaped and forced people and pushed people. Um, some people, I think, would say that, you know, the, the different difficult situations that Jewish people endured eventually led to the kind of creation of Hollywood, right? I believe it, the, how the history of it is, is something like where people, you know, were in a really bad situation. They had lost a lot through the horrible situations they endured. And then somehow got together and, you know, created Hollywood. Um, you know, they built, you know, this place and they obviously turned into a big, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest entertainment things on the planet. Um, I know there's, there's other things where, you know, the atomic bomb in Japan, you know, the Hiroshima, there's impacts that that's had on Japanese society. Um, it's kind of created a bit of a, a extremely competitive, you know, resilient society that had to bounce back from the bomb, had to bounce back from the war. And created, you know, some people say one of the most technologically advanced cities on the planet, you know, always usually leading the pact. Um, when you talk about Japan, you can definitely talk about Tokyo. Um, interesting to see how these technologies have the effects on people and what comes out of it. What do they do? Um, and there's obviously all these articles online now when I was doing research for this episode point to, you know, what technology is doing nowadays. And almost every single article paints this doomsday picture. And this is one of those moments where I sit back and just look at it and say, you know, this is, this is what the media is. This is what the algorithm wants. It feeds fear. You know, this is something where if you look at human history and you said, yeah, you know, that airplanes destroy art, you know, now that you can have artists traveling around the world, did, um, you know, the, the invention of the record, right? When artists could, you know, have their record and have it play the radio station, right? How did the radio station impact art? Um, you know, it had to be something, again, to be having local radio and then eventually having national radio, right? Like we, we, we take it for granted that we can hear a song played now at this point, actually, throughout the whole world. It is much more realistic in 2023 to have artists trend from Korea or from the UK or um, practically anywhere. If your song is good enough and it's catchy and you know, some company gets behind it usually, or if it just goes viral, that song can take over the globe, right? It could be in Fortnite next year, right? Like that's how big it can be. That's how fast it can happen. And the barriers are just disappearing when it comes to a lot of these things. Um, not 100%. You always will have companies that have made, you know, a lot of progress throughout human history. They're always going to have an advantage when it comes to these things. 
I'm not saying that they're not, but the the barriers of entry are very small. Um, they're just constantly getting smaller every single day. Where it even seems like life and death will not actually hinder many artists. I definitely think, um, you know, the people who own Prince's music, I think he probably would be extremely upset about this. But I am pretty sure throughout my life, there will be another Prince concert. There will be some kind of AI hologram robot something of Prince at some point. Some company will figure out the laws to do it and how to get around it. And um, most likely it'll be an amazing show. <laughs> In all honesty, right? As mad as that might make some people, um, this is not going to stop. It's going to keep on going. And I think the best example that we can all experience, um, I mentioned this last week on the podcast, and I kind of experienced that kind of, you know, inspired this week's podcast, is the MP3 to Spotify, right? How in less than maybe 10 or 15 years, we saw music completely changed because of the MP3. If you, look, if you can think back to tapes and records, the radio stations, the MP3, MP3 player, music downloads, and now something like sound music streaming like Spotify, you see five or six drastically different societies interacting with art. I mean, think about people, you know, dubbing tapes, handing tapes out to each other. Just, you know, I mean, you couldn't even make a tape. If you were a person and you wanted to make a song, it was a very complicated process for you to figure out how to make your song on a tape and then to copy that tape, to make two copies of that song so that two people could listen to that song on a tape. I mean, you could, but it, it was more possible than a record, for example. A record would have been even harder for you to make. But tapes allowed you know, some people to start kind of creating music and trying to get their demo tape out there. In my, my, my early life back in the 80s and 90s, people talked about demo tapes like it was like you know, their, their life raft. You know, these, oh my God, if I could have a two or three song demo tape, like it would change my world, right? If I could get that. And that was something that was unachievable for a lot of people. I'll never forget when I was about 18. This is early 2000s. Um, I met a friend... And they had a CD with their own originally created music on it. And and this is something that nowadays with SoundCloud rappers, you wouldn't even, who cares, right? In 2002, 2003, this young man had done something that I had never seen anyone do. No one was doing this. Everywhere I went, any town I went to, anyone I asked, no one was doing what he was doing. And I still praise him for that to this day. And the way he was going about it, I won't get into it. That's his story. But this guy was doing anything he could with the technology he could find. And it's amazing to see how that technology that he came across, which was not the conventional, you know, go to the record store and buy like, you know, studio equipment. This guy was doing everything he could to put music together. It's a lot like you hear about, you know, I think Wu-Tang is always the best example of the RZA. You always hear about the RZA and how he created the original beats for Wu-Tang using like, you know, um, beat machines that he had found in like secondhand stores and stuff. Um, but that technology inspired things. It changed things. Artists like Wu-Tang would not exist if only, you know, million dollar recording studios was the only way you can make music, right? You never would have got pretty much all of hip hop. It never would have existed without that technology. And think about how hip hop has influ influenced our society, as how hip hop has changed the culture, right? Not just our culture, but... Is the culture of the world, how it influences other cultures around the world, right? I, 
I saw a great documentary on like the hip hop scene in Japan and how it it influences. Um, I think it's uh, Shirajaku Station. It's like a train station area where like it's a cultural mecca of people out there just trying new things and trying styles. And hip hop had a really big influence on that whole area. And that's crazy, right? When you consider like it's a different language, but that that starts with those old you know beat machines. Ended up in secondhand stores, getting somewhere where a guy like the Riz can get his hand on it, and then making music like Wu Tang, right? Even the Wu Tang movies and the Shaolin movies, I saw another documentary that explained how, you know, those movies, a lot of the ones we saw in America, were like stolen and remixed movies from China. Like they were taking the movies and remixing them, not paying rights to anybody who owned them, and showing them in American theaters in New York. And a lot of times, like people didn't even realize what they were doing. They were just happy to like have movies. Uh, there was no laws around it, and it you know influenced the giant martial arts renaissance in America that stemmed from you know New York and spread across the country, opening the doors for people like Bruce Lee, now somebody we know as like yeah an obvious icon, but that may not have existed if you didn't have people basically stealing these different uh, martial arts films and showing them in like little cheap theaters in New York. Um, and really showing America what martial arts films could be, you know, and that influenced the sound of music that Wu-Tang had, that influenced hip-hop. The list goes on and on and on. When you go back through and you look at history, you look at anime, right? Look at anime, what it did to our society, right? How animated art in Japan, having a very different cartoon film than like the Walt Disney, Warner Brothers style cartoons that we had in America with Mickey Mouse and Looney Tunes. Um, you know, having very serious, you know, art created... Um, you know, in Japan, which was something that we had never seen. Very serious tones, very serious stories, but told through animated movies. Now you have stuff like Encanto that comes out and makes, you know, billions of dollars, literally. Um, and it's like a surefire thing they, they understand. But that doesn't happen if, you know, Ghost in the Shell doesn't come out in American theaters for the first time, when the first Japanese animated films to be shown in theaters in America and teach society that you can have a film, a serious film that's a cartoon. And Ghost in the Shell is as serious as they come, right? It's as hardcore as they come. Now you can have Encanto come out. It makes a billion dollars. And you know, I saw Encanto on ice the other, the other day, right? Like it's, it's, it's a giant franchise. No one's surprised anymore. We take it for granted. But there's a history there that shows technology, cultural exchange, times where people were literally breaking the law. I know people were like making their songs um, and labeling them incorrectly so that you would download them on Napster and then hopefully hear their version of the song or hear like their song they're trying to steal and, and sneak into your ears. Um, there's some stories of artists that got discovered that way and got, you know, shared their music around the world using torrents and stuff like that to get out there. So all this technology, a lot of it at some point was demonized or seen as the end of destroying an art. Yet art remains. Here we are, 2023. And um, we're obviously at, you know, a new renaissance, a neo-renaissance, as I called it on the last podcast. Um, in my stories that I write, I have a lot of outlines for different stories I wanted to plan to write in the future. And one of my pictured was, you know, after I thought of like, you know, the world I would like to see built, I thought that that world eventually would have, you know, evolved with technology into a, a neo-renaissance, an artistic period of growth where humans would use technology in all these cool ways to make all kinds of art. And I guess as a child, realistically, my mind probably could only picture as far as my mind could picture. And what seemed like the future to me in those stories was like a fictional world that would maybe exist hundreds of years in the future, if ever. And to think that now, 30 years later, possibly in 2023, 
I feel like we are really on the cusp of a, a neo-renaissance, a new period of artistic growth where humans around the world will be, you know, less tethered than ever, less hindered and held back than ever to create things. And they're going to do it in controversial ways. They're going to do it in illegal ways. This is how we've done it before. They're going to break laws. They're going to do a lot of controversial stuff. But on the other side of it, you're going to see a, a big growth of all kinds of different things that come out of it. So I'm going to take a quick break here. We're going to do music of the week. And then we're going to hop into a second part of it. We're going to talk about some of my predictions. And we'll get into more of some of the AI art things I see out there. And it's not just AI art. I'm also going to highlight some of the tools where humans are creating music and creating different images and arts that you can get your hands on, you can share. A lot of it's free. And then you can use that to help you build what you're building. And kind of just see like this basically... You know, never before have we seen such exchange, some such a free exchange in a lot of cases of um, of art, but it comes from something else. It comes from shareware, which is technology. I want to talk to you about how the history of shareware and how that's influencing what's currently going on in the digital art space after we do music of the week in our commercial break. Music of the week. This week. Fitting with the theme of, you know, the neo-renaissance, moving into this new future, this new cybernetic technology-enhanced artistic future that's going to break down a lot of the barriers we've had before and really take, you know, artistic growth to an insane, insane level, something that as humans we've never experienced before. And it's, I think it's going to change us, you know, on a social level, on a, on a conscious level. I want to pick the song Enjoy the Silence by... Kai Theory or Ki Theory. I'm not sure exactly how you say their name. It's the, it's the trailer music for the live action version of the Ghost in the Shell movie. Enjoy the Science is, uh, Enjoy the Silence is an older song. So this is a cover and it's a real like cool updated techno kind of cover. It has a very ominous, you know, um sound to it. And really the the Ghost in the Shell trailer was like so awesome. It was I mean I don't say it's better than the movie. I said this to the movie. I think the movie is pretty good. It's a solid movie. Um, there's If you've never seen Ghost in the Shell, you don't care about all the controversy. And you just watch the Ghost in the Shell movie for like whatever it is. It's enjoyable. It's everybody I've showed it to. Um, it's a little weird. There's definitely some weird moments. And I think in 2023, those moments don't get any less weirder when you understand some of the concepts they're explaining. But again, that movie shows concepts that are hard for people to digest now. Later on in the future, these things are going to be commonplace. People are not going to care anymore. Um, and we just haven't really experienced that yet. So no knock on the movie. It's probably, it'd probably be a cult classic. People probably appreciate it more in the future. But that song, Enjoy the Silence by uh, K.I. Theory, that's what I'm call him for the rest of this segment, um, is it, it opened up a world of music to me too. There's a lot of like techno covers people do, um, and they make these really cool sounds. And even techno as a genre is just such a genre that tries its best to use experimental music and electronic sounds. I think that's tied in really good to this week's episode. When we look at, you know, how has technology changed art? I mean, you have a whole genre here of music that um, we haven't ever really seen before. And real quick, I got to mention, I think Daft Punk recently um, kind of came at technology and they said like they don't want to use, you know, technology anymore. They used to love it and they used to act like robots, but they stopped wearing masks and stuff because they didn't like like what robots are doing to art. And honestly, man... My gut instincts there is that you kind of got mad is because like now anyone can do this and um, what you're doing isn't as special anymore. I feel like it's, just, it's a, such an old man thing to come from a group of people like Daft Punk that seem like such a forward thinking, futuristic group 
for them to be like, wait, 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 now this is getting scary. Pump the brakes. No, sorry. That's, that's, that's not how technology works. That's not how society works. We don't pump brakes. We go forward and we go forward. And yeah, you might shatter some eggs along the way, but that's how it goes. So buckle up, throw on some techno music, throw on some Kai Theory, and embrace the future because it's, it's, it's only coming. It's not going away, right? That's my pick for Music of the Week. Movie of the Week. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you a movie and an alternative movie. I'm going to double down and go with the live-action Ghost in the Shell. And if you haven't seen the animated one, don't. Just watch the live-action one first. See if you can enjoy it. Hit me up and let me know. If you've never seen the Ghost in the Shell animated movie, if you've really never seen it, just watch the live-action one and tell me what you think about it. Um, the story pretty much is the same. And obviously, you know, this is a spoiler alert, so you can get your stomachs ready for it now. I don't know if your brains are going to explode when you watch this. But it, the controversy that surrounded this movie, around, around the concept of, basically, um, you can make an android, and then the android, even though it's a robot, is going to look like something you're familiar with. So this, in this case, it's Scarlett Johansson, which, you know, for, you know, argument's sake, I guess, is a Caucasian woman, right? Um, so what if you could put your mind, your consciousness into, uh, this android? So what if you're like a guy or a person of a different gender or ethnicity or whatever, and you're now inside this robot in the future that in theory could happen in some kind of way, right? So Ghost in the Shell is a movie that really kind of doesn't even have anything to do with that. I feel like, I think it's supposed to more be a plot twist where you have this character who's basically um, a soldier and they get put inside of this robot body and they do cool anime stuff. That's really the point of the movie, if you ask me. There's a story there, if you watch the animated movie, uh, about like, you know, um, the mother and whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's a cool movie. You can go invisible at one point. There's machine guns and cartoon characters are naked. This is the spectacle that makes Ghost in the Shell a thing that Teenage Boys was talking about and raving about. They'd never seen a cartoon do some of the things, the brutal deaths and murders in the cartoon. There's a social commentary that's there, of course, but that's not what made Ghost in the Shell popular. There's been lots of movies and sci-fi stuff that books have been written um, about sci-fi and the technology and the warnings of the future, tons of it. Ghost in the Shell is just one of those things, but it had naked people in it because it was girls on the cover, and that made it go really viral um, back before viral was viral, right? So... The movie, the live action version of it, you know, the creator of Ghost in the Shell from Japan, he thought it was amazing that they got Scarlett Johansson to do the movie. People in America did not like it because she's white and the character is Japanese. The thing inside of her, the the mind, the soul or whatever, uh, it's a Japanese person who I think they get, they die or their body gets extremely hurt and they get put into this this shell and the shell happens to look like a white person. Now, that then there obviously is because Scarlett Johansson needs to be in the film. But I guess the argument becomes, you know, this Japanese company, when they make this robot, why would they make the robot look like a white lady? Why wouldn't it look like a Japanese lady, right? It's a Japanese company. Makes sense. Um, and obviously for us, we know it's because they want to call Johansson to be in the film, which the creator of Ghost in the Shell thought was awesome because that was like the biggest female American actress pretty much at the time, um, if not still. And that was a great to have, you know, her being the person showing off the story Ghost in the Shell and getting everybody to watch it. But America didn't like that idea. So for movie of the week, I'm saying check out Ghost in the Shell. Is it the greatest movie in the world? I don't necessarily think that, but I don't think there's anything wrong with the movie when you're watching it. 
it's a little slow, it's a little dark, so is the anime. Um, <laughs> but it presents a lot of cool ideas, a lot of cool visuals. Um, and people I've seen it, I watched it with, they always enjoy it. A lot of them don't know the controversy and they don't care. Um, and then finally, if you don't want to deal with that, then watch Johnny, Mon- Johnny Mnemonic, right? Johnny Mnemonic is a movie starring Keanu Reeves. And it's another great movie about what the future might be like, but it's made in like 1994. I think um, one of the big plot points is he has a hard drive st- installed in his head and he's trying to download a file, but like the hard drive is only four gigs big. I think the file's like eight gigs big and it doesn't fit. So it's like bleeding out into his brain. And that's not how technology works. <laughs> it's not how technology works at all. However, that's the that's the main point of the movie. He has to get across town before this like leaking data it poisons his brain. When and when this like four gig byte, it's the it's ridiculous when you get into how the technology works. It's funny. However, I think it is a cool movie. Another movie that warns us about the dangers of technology. Um, meanwhile, I'm sitting next to like four terabytes of data, and it's not hurting me or anyone around me. Everyone's okay. Um, you know, I, I definitely, um, and if you try to put a file on there and it's too big, it just won't let you do it. That, that, that's like the, all of Johnny Mnemonic's, Johnny Mnemonic's problems would have been solved if he was using Windows Explorer. That's like the funniest thing about that film is why did they, why did they even let you try to put this big file in there? It doesn't even work. I don't even see what future that file works in, but if you don't like Ghost in the Shell, you can't stomach the controversy. Watch Johnny Mnemonic, another great sci-fi movie, um, which is laughable when you think about some of the concepts that they were so like worried about, but also really cool and a great performance by, by Keanu. Um, another movie that was definitely ahead of his time, and it's great to see how society pictured technology and how realistically it worked out to be a lot less dangerous than they thought it was going to be, man. Those those sci-fi writers, some of them, man, from back in the day, really thought that like these computers were going to burn the whole world to ash. And um, instead, we're doing pretty good, right? I don't know. Check it out. So if you guys don't know, there was a time, I feel like maybe in like the, the 90s, right? I feel like around the AOL era, this really started happening, where people were going online trying to figure out what to do with the internet. There was a time when people did not know what to do with the internet, right? For my networking classes and stuff like that, I think the original like internet was really like just to help people like share files. Like a, like a big file sharing database, right? If you wanted like to write a, a paper at a university and the other university wanted to read it, you could like share the file and then like you could read the paper. And that was pretty much it. Then I think they, they realized you can like talk to each other um, in very crude ways. And the email came much later. Um but at some point during this this renaissance, this technology renaissance, right when the internet was being you know first created, there was this like weird movement where companies were coming out and they were selling products like Windows, you know, um, like Windows Explorer was like I feel like it was like five hundred dollars. It was like so expensive to get licensed Windows. It was like the most expensive thing in the world. Um, you know, you used to have a computer with Windows. You can like buy a computer. If it was bundled with Windows, it was like free. But if you had a computer and you wanted to get like a new version of Windows, it was like the most expensive thing to do, right? So like your your Mac OS just updates now, right? Our iPhones just update. But Jesus Christ, before, Microsoft was just making you pay tons of money for this kind of stuff. And what happened? People rebelled. People went out and they created something called Linux, which is to this day is a free operating system 
to this day, some people say it's you know far superior than you know Apple and Microsoft. I don't know if all that's true, um, but they created a free program. People worked and created a, an operating system that was free and highly customizable to however you would like it to be. And they shared it for no desire of money or anything like that. They made technology and they shared it. Um, and there's lots of other programs. Freeware and shareware became those terms people used where people would go out there and if you saw that somebody was making a program that cost a whole lot of money, there'd be some rebel, some pirate, some hacker, this person out there basically saying, you know, giving their middle finger to the system and making a free version of that, that other thing, right? Real audio player was a music player. I can't remember. I think it's quick. That's not QuickTime. I can't remember which company. Maybe Microsoft made a real audio player. I remember it was intrusive. It had a lot of ads and pop-ups and all this annoying stuff where all you wanted to do was listen to music. And then other people made like Winamp. I think I don't know if Winamp was a free, a free um, music player. But I, I personally use a program called VLC. VLC has become very popular over the years. I think it's one of the most successful shareware programs. It's pretty much free to anyone that could download it. I don't even think there's a pay version of it. Um, some people have been developing VLC forever, and it plays almost all your media. Um, there was times where you could not get access to MP3s without paying for licensing. All these companies are trying to make you pay, 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 pay. And then people came along and said, no, this is, this is too much. We know how to do this stuff too. We're going to make this stuff, and we're going to give it away for free because we simply want this to exist in the world. And now we're at a culture where most programs and computer software and apps that you get People expect them to be free. They kind of have an issue if they're not free. Um, and when a company comes out and they make a program and they charge you a subscription fee or something like that, that just creates a market where someone else says, okay, I'm going to make the free one. Right? Maybe it'll put some ads in it. Maybe it'll add a donation button. You look at something like Wikipedia. Technically, Wikipedia is free. When I was growing up, you'd buy you know, um, encyclopedia versions, books that you put in your house. I had a version of encyclopedia Parents got guilted and used to feel like they had to have encyclopedias in the house if they wanted their kids to ever learn anything. Did we ever read them? We rarely looked in the encyclopedia. But encyclopedia used to be like 12 or you know, 15 books, something like that, as big as you could get them, basically. And these companies would publish and sell these encyclopedias over and over again to us, kind of holding on to all the knowledge and the pages of their books, right? Um, and the internet completely blew that out the water. Now you have the access to you know, things like Wikipedia and regular Google search, and then you have now the AI-enhanced searches that take that stuff and read it and summarize it for you and bring it to you, giving you information, unrestricted, free information as fast as possible with probably like an ad banner on the side if you're dealing with Google or something like that. Making society, in every single way you look at it, is better. There's no way unlimited free information for people around the world is a bad thing. It just teaches people more. You obviously get to choose what you want to read and what you want to look up, but that's staggering to see in one, one lifetime how fast things can change. But that's what Shareware did. That mentality that those original hackers had of, you know, why should these companies be able to control all this stuff, right? If you look at TV, TV and radio, um, companies had a stranglehold over the media and the art that you got to consume. Some of the best movies and TV shows that you saw weren't necessarily the best ideas of their generation. It's just the stuff that got put on the TV. Friends, nepotism, Different people networking with each other, getting in a certain room, living in a certain geographical area, dominating and controlling what you saw on TV. And, you know, they might say, oh, those are the best actors and that's the great stuff. But, you know, that's just the stuff that we saw. We don't necessarily know if that was the only thing that was available. 
at the time, that was the only thing that was out, right? So that's what we got to see. So looking at all that stuff, you know, there's a lot of AI things we talk about on the show and people are talking about, but I wanted to show you some of the human things, um, the asset stores that people are, you know, creating. And a lot of this stuff they're giving away for free. And some of it has like a fee that you can buy. But the cool thing about it is most of it is not exclusive licensing. So like if someone makes like a car, a 3D car, they can sell it to everyone. Most of the time it's not sold to just one person. Typically like if you're playing like a game like Assassin's Creed and there's like a horse in that game, you can't download that horse, that, that same exact horse and use it. That belongs to Ubisoft, the makers of Assassin's Creed. And they're not going to let you have it. They should, but they're not going to let you have it. And I think that's going to change. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, you know what? Let's get into that now, right? So I'll, I'll, before I forget that point, I believe companies like Ubisoft, um, companies like Epic, right? Epic basically takes all the assets from Fortnite and puts them in Fortnite Creative so that you can use those assets and you make money and they revenue share with you, right? So Epic makes money when you're making money. But you didn't have to hire an artist to make all these 3D things that match and go together well. You can use them and just drop them down and arrange them and tell your stories and create your games. So there's lots of companies out there like Rockstar and, and Ubisoft that have giant archives of digital assets and game mechanics for games that they are no longer selling. When they make a new Assassin's Creed game, they're making a new one. All new digital assets all over again um, for some reason. I don't know why. And all those old mechanics are just sitting on some hard drive somewhere. I could definitely see a subscription service probably, or maybe even a free platform if they decided to. I don't know if Ubisoft would do that. Where they start letting you have access to all those old assets. So people can start making their games or making their stories, their experiences using those older assets. They're just sitting around collecting dust. And to you know get into that, we're going to go look at Fab, right? So Fab is a website that um, is, is owned by Epic, right? And we're going to get into how that whole thing happened. But, you know, a lot of talk happens on, um, you know, AI and stuff like that. I'm trying to bring up this particular website real quick. Let me go ahead and find this because it's not coming up the way I thought it was going to come up. Fab.com should be the URL, and that's not what it is. Let me try one more time. Fab.com. Yes, all right, here it goes. I, I did it wrong. I put it in the wrong search thing. Everything you need to build worlds, fab.com, fab.com. If you've never been, if you're interested in a topic, check out fab.com, right? This is a place where people are making like a basketball, a road cone, a cat, like all the things that we see in the world that you might want to put into your game. There's a lot of assets on here that are free. These, these assets are made to fit into multiple gaming engines. So although we mainly talk about Unreal Engine on this podcast, there are a few other gaming engines out there, and most of these digital assets will go into anything, even like movie production and stuff like that. You can get assets for pretty much anything. And you come to the website, it has a pretty cool interface, um, and then like I could just like type a word, right? I think that's what it wants me to do. So there's like a word here, like let me say I want car, right? Like what kind of cars is, is, are there? Nope, that's not how the website works. There's no, there's no tapping thing here. This is like their landing page. I'm on a different laptop than I usually use. Oh, so fab.com is launching later this year. So it's that's what they showed. They showed this on um they showed the fab plugin for the Unreal editor for Fortnite. But basically, where's the old uh, Sketchfab? Sketchfab is the website that's still up right now. So let's go to Sketchfab. 
Fab is basically a rebranding of Sketchfab. And Sketchfab is where we can see all the digital assets that are currently available. Why bring this up here? Basically, I want you guys to take a look at this if you haven't seen this already. The best 3D viewer on the web. There is an, an amazing amount of digital assets on here for 3D models of all sorts, for um, you know, robots, characters, peoples, all kinds of things that you can get your hands on. And then you can go ahead now with the new, I think the more improved version of this they have coming out later, where you can kind of see all this stuff. You can see it in game. You can see it in Unreal. And, you know, humans making art to share it for everyone. Why make a horse? You know, when you're playing a game, why make just that one horse? Every time you make an Assassin's Creed game, somebody's making one more horse. And, you know, they might animate the horse differently, but that's different. The 3D horse does not come with animations. That's a whole separate thing that they put in there. Um, I know me and my friends used to play wrestling games, and every year they'd make a bunch of wrestling moves, and at some point they would kind of get rid of all the animations and start over again. And say, like, but if we like the old animations, why, why can't we still have access to them? Well, they probably can't fit them on the disc. You don't have access to them, um, you know, through this, this traditional means of having like a, a disc that you can install in your, your hard drive. But like on the computer, I've played many games where you have, you know, giant hard drives and, and bigger game files. Like on, uh, Skyrim is a great game I play where you can add more and more files. There's people who make mods for Skyrim and, and other computer games for free. They do make all this art give it away for free, maybe with the hopes of maybe getting some attention and one day getting a job. Besides that, some people just do it lifelong for free, just as a hobby, just because they love Skyrim and they give away this art. So we look at this new thing that we have going on here where I feel like people have a sense of almost entitlement. It has to be an American thing because around the world, obviously, if you're a great singer, it doesn't guarantee you're going to be a millionaire. It doesn't guarantee you're going to be Beyonce. Actually, a lot of times, if you come from a lot of places in the world, it almost means you're not going to become Beyonce because unless they have a big, you know, entertainment industry in their area, you may not have a platform or the resources available to you to get out there and, you know, display your music on the same level as another big diva artist like Beyonce. Um, you might not have the ability to even compete in that situation. So when you when you look at that, you know, and I think America has the idea that like art belongs to us. And, you know, there's a lot of legal stuff that goes with that. And we should be able to own it. We should be able to make tons of money off of it um, and be super rich and super successful and, like, famous. But if you took away fame and the idea that every single person, you know, needs to become super rich and famous, and we all just had a massive sharing of arts, just all different kind of ideas we had, that would be much like when people were creating shareware, creating, creating digital programs to help better society to give you alternatives to the other stuff you had to pay for and then putting it out there. There are platforms for royalty-free music and a lot of places that kind of showcase artists that are not featured by like big commercial companies. And they're not trafficked well. A lot of people don't go to those sites. You don't hear about a lot of those artists you know, getting more attention. It's not like they make bad music. It's just people don't go to those sites a lot. I remember I was growing up. I tried several of those different sites. I was on SoundClick. I was on Reverb Nation. But fans of music don't go to those sites. They kind of just wait for the big companies to put out that other music. And that probably is just like our habit of, you know, how we consume music. Um, there is a lot of music that comes out from those big companies. Maybe it's just, you know, too much for people to go looking around for all that stuff. But things like Sketchfab is another, you know, human first kind of experience. Instead of always talking about AI, I wanted to mention like this is another technology humans are using. 
where they can sit down and create things and share them quickly for a low price, um, you know, or even for free. And other people can take those digital assets and do things with them. And it's not much different than pressing the button on AI, right? Because if no one is seeking monetary gain, right? If I, if I have an AI picture, people's kind of argument against that is, oh, well, that's taking money away from the AI artists or the real artists or whatever. But there's tons of artists in the world that do this art for free, that share their art for free or for a very low price. And those people are still out there creating unique assets, um, very high quality assets to people's specifications that all fit together to fit a certain theme. Uh, they're cohesive. AI art, a lot of times, is very random. And Sketchfab is one of those types I wanted to you know, highlight for you guys this week if you never checked it out. Even if you're not into game design, this is going to you know, affect everyone's version of life. I really feel like at some point, you know, social media, the way you interact, there's going to be more and more ways that you can quickly use digital assets and stuff like that to enhance your social media posts, to make your content more enriching, um, and to tell the stories about you and your family you know, using all kinds of tools that used to only belong to people who made big-budget movies. And it's all coming out to you for right now, right? And the world isn't going to implode. It's not going to be the end of the world. Just how history has shown us, technology has had many different phases and ways things have gone. Eventually, we'll adapt. When my, my kids grow up, this will be the norm to them. They'll never know a world that was different. But how is that any different than us? When we always understood that you can listen to a radio station, right? There was a time in society and human history where there were no radio stations. And when the radio stations came, it didn't destroy art. If anything... I think arguably we could say that it brought a lot of artists, you know, big attention. You know, the Beatles and stuff like that. We wouldn't have known about them if we didn't have, you know, records and radio stations to show us their music in America. They probably would have been just stuck in the UK. We never would have heard of them because of technology. Now we do. We, we all know who they are. They're legends. And they, their music will be preserved and live on forever. And thanks to AI, there'll probably be a new Beatles album in like the next 10 years, right? <laughs> it's a joke I keep making. But it's going to happen. All right, I'm Sammy Ride. Those are my main points about that. If you want to hang out for the after show, we're going to do that next. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Take a seat. Relax. Ugh, get your stretch in. It's time for the after show. This is the bonus content. This is the DVD extras. You made it this far. Thank you so much. The show is over, and we're going to get to sit down and just talk about some regular stuff here. Um, you know, I saw a commercial the other day for Indeed.com, and I remember there was a time where it seemed like, you know, online resume sites was going to make life easier. And I had to get, I think in some ways, it had to have made life easier, right? Um, being able to, you know, put your resume online, have headhunters contact you, AKA have people spam you like ridiculous, right? Trying to get a hundred candidates to show up for like one job position. Um, there's negative things that came from that, but definitely before going to out to going to places and getting a resume or application for every single store, like if you want to work in like the mall and there's like 10 stores, and they all require the same the basic skills. Are you a human? Do you have a pulse? You know, that's it, right? You want to come in here and work the cash register at one of these, you know, 15 stores in here. Um, it did make sense to say, hey, I already filled the application to, you know, Johnny Rockets Hot Dogs. Can I just take it over to Johnny's ice cream store and give you the same application? Well, I got to fill this thing out, pe paper and pencil twice, right? 
that was annoying and it was the truth because why do that right it's the same application if i'm if i need a job and you need an employee i'm here let's go um but you had to fill out all these applications and they all asked you very different weird questions and they all could take you so much time it was it was a big pain so definitely having digital applications and universal applications you kind of can apply everywhere having resumes you can share to people it made that all easier but in some ways it made it too easy I know sometimes for job recruiters, it has to be hard where there's a lot of inactive profiles. People probably put their resumes online and then they don't take them off. So they're looking for people that get, you know, come to a job and a lot of people are already hired and employed. So they had to find who's actually on those sites that are, are actually not employed anymore. Um, and then it has to go vice versa. If you're looking for a job, you're looking through all these job listings now, instead of looking at 10 or 15 stores in the mall, if you're looking to work your cash register and you're in a, a metropolitan area, you probably have to choose from like a thousand jobs in the area or more because there's so many places who might need those things. And then when you have, you know, a thousand people applying for a thousand jobs, it becomes a mad a madness, right? Where at least before, if it was one store and maybe 30 or 40 people walked in and put in their application, all right, you only got 30 or 40 people to beat. And if they, you know, if you came in more recently and they saw you, they might like you and maybe they'll just ask you to sit down or come back for an interview. And now that's not the process anymore. A lot of times I tell people, you know, you should still go in person, still take the application, still take a resume. And I hear sometimes people's experience, because I've had a job for a while, so I haven't done it myself, but they'll say, oh, I went in there and they just told me to go put my stuff online. And I feel like, you know, me in that situation, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I hear you, but no, I'm, I'm here to talk to you. I want you to meet me because I'm awesome. I've heard people say that they've tried stuff like that, and then people get kind of annoyed. Like, no, can you get my face to go put it online? I don't want to talk to you. Um, and I say, don't work at that place. Then that's how my, my feeling is. That's a, that's a, a mean person who's, you know, doesn't want to talk to you, but I can't even blame that manager because the manager probably is more used to not having that face-to-face interaction. They probably like not having that pressure, that social anxiety of coming in and somebody trying to be really nice to them and get a job. It all comes and goes with different kind of problems and, and benefits basically. So I think that's a great example of something that's not related to art. We could look at how technology has improved something it definitely took away something that was bad, you know, handing in job applications for all these places. But at the same time, it's created new problems. But I think that that's sometimes where we mess up. We assume that somehow something improved means that that means there's going to be no more problems. And that's not realistic. I think I, t- I explain this to my, my daughter a lot. You know, when she does something, she says, this is hard. And, um, you know, she gets frustrated if she like, you know, worked at it and learned it. And then some part aspect of it's still hard. I try to explain to her, I said, no, this is challenging. This is still challenging. It's just another challenge. You're not going to have life that has no challenges. That's not life. That's not realistic. That's how little kids think. Um, but as she gets older, I try to explain to you that, no, that's, you're not going to get to a point where everything's easy. There's going to be some sort of challenge you have to deal with. The question is, you know, are these challenges improvements over the old challenges? I think so. I'd much rather have to, you know, submit, press one button and submit my application to 100 people in 10 seconds and then deal with trying to stand out somehow either digitally or maybe making some cold calls and getting my, my the phone hung up on me or showing up and getting people to tell me to get out their store. I'd rather still, you know, employ some of my old tactics of being human, getting past the digital point, seeing if you find somebody who appreciates it because that's where I want to work. Um, or... You have the other thing where people sometimes get, they get contacted. They're not even looking for a job. And because they have their, their resume updated, they get contacted. And that's obviously a blessing, right? That's an amazing thing 
So you're not even looking for a job and someone comes along and gives you a better job offer. You know, you maybe go someplace else and you weren't even looking. It's working for you. Yeah, why not, right? So the, the improvement has to be better. It's just, it did, I think we sometimes think, um, oh, it, it was supposed to be perfect now. And that's not what improvements are. Is it, you know, you, you're going to keep improving things. And I don't know if anything ever grows perfect necessarily. But it's not as bad as it used to be. It brings a lot of advantages. And there'll be some disadvantages to it. But again, they're just challenges. There'll always be new challenges no matter what you're dealing with. Um, so that's my point. That's how I was looking at it. I hope that kind of relates to what we've been talking about recently with AI art and all these new amazing technologies that are coming out and the challenges they present and also the benefits that hopefully they'll bring, right? That's my take on it. I hope you guys had a good week. I'm Sammy. Peace.